Hi, this is your host, Becky Sanders. Welcome to A Virtual View, where we discuss healthcare, telehealth, and everything in between. Today, our guest is Sulema Salgado, who is the Director of Telehealth, Telemedicine, and Rural Health Initiatives for the Georgia Department of Public Health. Sulema has over 15 years' experience in government, healthcare education, communications, and public relations, and has led several state and local public health initiatives. Would you like to say anything else to introduce yourself? Sure, I'd like to say thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here and hope we can have some great conversation. Thank you so much. So we've talked before, and I was trying to remember, when did the Georgia WIC program first talk about integrating telehealth or virtual care into their program? Sure. It's a great question. So for us, it's kind of a long story. We actually have been implementing telemedicine and telehealth to some capacity in our WIC program and throughout our Department of Public Health since 2003. So a long time ago, we started, it was a phased in approach where we were just looking at two little communities inside of Georgia in rural areas and really just using it as a needs assessment to really see if it worked, what the connectivity was like, what resources were available, and just kind of collect some data. Since 2003, we slowly started rolling out, and about 2012 is when it started picking up when our last health commissioner was very pro-telehealth and telemedicine, and she made a call to action for all of our county health departments and WIC program and said that we were going to be implementing telehealth across all 159 counties. And when she did that, that was kind of the official launch. So it was 2012, and by 2016, all 159 counties were up and running. Wow. I didn't realize that Georgia had 159 counties. That is a lot of coordination of efforts. Yes. And over 100 of those are rural counties. So everyone thinks Georgia thinks of Atlanta and it's like, oh, very urban. It's it's Georgia. No, over 100 of those 159 are rural. Mm-hmm. Well, I can attest to that. I've been to Waycross, Georgia, flew into Jacksonville once and then had to drive through the Okefenokee Swamp to get to Waycross. <laughs> it is funny you mentioned Waycross. Waycross is actually where our telehealth hub is located at. We have our most of our staff and our team is down in Waycross because it was a rural location in Georgia and then everybody slowly transitioned to Atlanta. Right. Okay, cool. What were some of the barriers that you guys had to overcome? I think it for specifically around the WIC program, I think it was really difficult for us just to kind of wrap our brain around how much we could do and how much we were allowed to do, given the very strict restrictions that we had with the USDA and making sure that we were able to accommodate all of our clients and customers needs. One of the biggest ones, as I mentioned, was just the bandwidth connectivity. Everyone still continues to have bandwidth issues and broadband connectivity. And we needed to make sure that just because our health departments were centrally located and patients were going to be able to come to our health department and receive some tele, but also provide some capacity of virtual care, broadband has always been our number one concern and to this day continues to be so. We are very limited in the availability in some of our counties and we've had to spend a pretty penny in ensuring that the connectivity was at the quality that it needed to be. That was one of the biggest ones initially. Now, there is a new program called the Emergency Broadband Benefit Program. Are you aware of that? I am aware of it. We have not had to take advantage of it yet because as part of this rollout all these years, we had a lot of lessons learned and we were actually able to sustain funding from our legislators to increase bandwidth in all of our health department sites. So now they allocate funds for us to increase bandwidth in our clinic sites. That is amazing. That's awesome that you have the legislators on your side. 
Yes. I think it was also really interesting for us to figure out what, what service was going to be the best. How could we start off slow with our patients and make sure that they were comfortable using the platform before they got kind of too, too thorough and too in detail. So I think for us, we started off slow providing services and it was kind of your traditional telemedicine program where while we had centrally located clinics, most of our issues were around staff capacity. So we realized that our patients, while they didn't really need to be seen remotely, they would come into the health department at any given day or any given time. And maybe we didn't have the right amount of staff present. We might have not had a registered dietitian that day available. So we started leveraging telehealth in the capacity of our patients would come to our health department sites or our WIC clinic sites. And from those WIC clinic sites, they'd be connected back virtually to staff. So they might have not had the staff at that location, but maybe our neighboring county or two of our other sites within the county had those registered dietitian or those breastfeeding coordinators. And we were able to connect them virtually that way. And I think that helped alleviate one of the broadband barriers that we had initially, but also helped us alleviate the barrier that we had with staffing and capacity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a great way to think outside the box. And then what do your WIC providers say? Do they like providing services virtually? It was a, it was a slow and steady kind of buy-in. It, initially, it was very scary. Like, how are we going to do this? Is it really going to work? Some services, we know we have to see the patient in person. It was really hard to get those initial kind of obstacles out of our brain of like, well, how are we going to do height and weight? And how are we going to measure this? Like, we started talking through it and saying, hey, what can we do in advance? Maybe can they go somewhere else in advance? If they're already in a clinic for a visit, can they go ahead and have that captured? And when we meet with them virtually, or if they come in here, can we make it a one-stop shop? But our providers have been super supportive. I think they really like it. Our our nutritionists, our lactation consultants have really enjoyed leveraging the technology. And I feel they get kind of more of a personal um, experience with the patients. Our patients say the same thing. It's At first it was kind of like, well, well I don't feel like they're really going to see me and they're going to understand me and virtual is just kind of, you know, informal. But really, we started realizing that the video kind of alleviates a little bit of that anxiety and allows them to kind of make themselves more comfortable. I will say our breastfeeding boot camps have been very successful. One of our districts, and I will say every county health department and WIC program uses the network differently just based on their needs and their staffing capacity. And I think that's a true lesson learned that everybody should consider is there is not a one size fits all. And you'll understand that your communities and your counties are very different. So you'll have to modify some of your programs for them. But one of our really cool ones has been our breastfeeding boot camps. One district doesn't do in-person, like doesn't do virtual in the home consultations, but they offer virtual boot camps. So four sessions per month where all the staff is able to connect back with those patients, whether it's in their health departments, in conference rooms or in their home and provide that education. And most of those families have really enjoyed that. That is amazing. So you've so far you've mentioned lactation, breastfeeding, um, diabetes. What other services do your WIC department or your WIC providers offer? So high-risk nutrition education is really important and breastfeeding assessments and breastfeeding nutrition and education is another one. So the nutrition ed classes. So let's say, for example, one of my districts had only two registered dietitians total covering over 3,500 square miles. So they covered an entire health district with two registered dietitians. So what they decided to do is leverage technology and come up with 15-minute appointments at different locations and provide access points for patients to be able to see them remotely in those 15-minute slots. So 
a staff of two are now able to cover that 3,500 square mile radius. Whereas in the past, they would have had to schedule clinics at certain sites and be present only on certain days, making it really difficult in turning away some of our patients. So now they stay in their district office and they connect and have all those consultations around their entire district. One of the things that um, thinking about other state programs that might want to try and emulate what you've done or use your best practices that you've developed. Imagine a situation where a client comes into a health department and there's like an intake process and then they wait and then they go back to a private room with a WIC provider. How does that intake process work when you're doing a virtual visit? So that's going to be one of our new initiatives that we've been working on really closely. And it's having and leveraging a new virtual platform that we just came up with and work with one of our vendors to implement. And so we're going to start having virtual waiting rooms and queues. So you have an initial intake virtual where you log in. So you log in for your virtual consultation. You check in. You have an administrative clerk who's there doing that initial intake and paperwork. And then you're moved into different rooms based on your needs. So we have step one, you're moved into a room. Step two, you move into another room. And every time you can move back to a landing page, kind of like a homepage and kind of you wait until we have the organizer who comes in and moves people. So we have an organization administrator based on districts and they're able to navigate and read the notes as they go with the patients and move them from room to room. That's awesome. It's amazing what technology can accomplish. We're really excited to kind of see how that works out. We know that most of our patients are accustomed again to that telehealth experience. So the buy-in's kind of there for us already. We started slow with just that nutrition education and that breastfeeding education, virtual trainings and classes. We also did the same thing at the same time with our staff to make sure they were comfortable with leveraging the technology. So we started hosting a lot more staff meetings virtual. We started doing distant learning education virtual. So people started getting comfortable with things just as basic as turning on your camera. (laughs) We know initially people People are just like, oh, it's video conferencing. It'll be fine. Or some are completely anti-video conferencing. So for us, it was like, well, what can we do to make everyone feel comfortable? What can we do to make sure people are comfortable with the technology and turning on their webcams and being mindful of their backgrounds? And so now we're like, okay, we're ready to go full steam ahead and implement these different virtual cues and have people kind of just administering people into different waiting rooms. So we're really excited. Yeah, I'm sure if we were to compare your program to another program that was all in person prior to COVID it would be drastically different because so many of us were just kind of forced into doing things virtually, but you guys already had it going on. Yeah. So I think for us, it like you just said, it was easy for us to slowly transition into the web-based, but I will say it was also really difficult. Just one of those other barriers is with policy and legislation is how much can you do virtually? What is really allowed? Is a secondary contact allowed to be done via telemedicine? And also with COVID, it was really hard to encourage people and motivate staff to leverage video conferencing when in some situations, the feds allowed for a phone consultation. So phone was an option. So really not really focusing so much on what's allowed that we could just get by, but really saying what's going to sustain us in the long term post-COVID and what can we implement now so that we're prepared post-COVID when CMS opens up these codes and the state and federal mandates open up that we can continue and not have to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, one of the things as a telehealth resource center that we got a lot of questions on early on in the pandemic was about consent and documentation. For the Georgia Medicaid program, do you obtain consent from your patients to be treated via telehealth? 
We do. Medicaid does require consent. So some of the paperwork, if it's done ahead of time, we submit those electronically and have them fill it out and send it back. If not, we make sure that our staff has telemedicine consent forms, the Medicaid consent forms, and then we get virtual consent verbally and we make note of it, the time and date, and place it on their individual consent form and put it in our files. But yes, we are required to have consent. Does Georgia Medicaid allow the patients to take their own vitals as like temperature, blood pressure, weight, those types of things? They have allowed at this time, yes. And we have kind of also tried to work with our staff to see if, if the patient's coming in for anything else, can we leverage that? If it was in the past week, if they were in our clinics for any other services, can we go ahead and capture that information and share resources? But during the pandemic, yes, that's been allowed. That's awesome. Now, the last question I have for you today is about outcomes. Have you guys done any tracking or analysis of data? I think for us, that's now part of our phase three. I will say we've done a lot of customer satisfaction. We've done customer satisfaction surveys. That's something we're also including now in our virtual um, waiting room platform that we're going to start using is really tracking the length of time, how pleased the patient is and satisfied with the care virtually, but also just to leverage the technology. Was the platform easy to use? Was it user-friendly? Do you feel it's equal then or better than an in-person visit? So we do have some of that patient satisfaction for several of our telehealth programs. Very cool. Now, have you transitioned? You mentioned you're starting to transition right now. How many different platforms have you guys used over the years? So we are only down to two platforms. We started off just with video conferencing, leveraging Cisco web-based products, just because we wanted to make sure that we were able to integrate our district conference rooms, our desk units, as well as the web-based platform as needed. But now we've just added a second platform called Pathways. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I know that things are busy down there in Georgia, and I appreciate the time. No problem. It's a delight. Thank you so much for having me. And if I could ever be of any more assistance and connect anyone with our state WIC program, I'm happy to do so. Oh, thank you so much. I want to thank you for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about? If so, please contact us at info at umtrc.org or through the form found in the show notes. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast and to our editor, Caroline Yoder. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Services Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center Program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the Program Director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy or position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.